Welcome, 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 anyone and everyone to the Sweat the Small Stuff podcast. We are on episode 14, Coronavirus Pod 8 uh, via Skype. TJ, you're here with me via Skype. I How are you doing, sir? I am here, and I'm great. Uh, you know, stuck inside, but anybody who's listening to this is very likely also stuck inside. So I am doing about as good as one can with that information in mind. This is our, uh, we're, we are now over the hump as far as more podcasts recorded via Skype than in person because we were a startup. We were a startup uh, pod, you know, when this was getting going. We were only a mere six or seven episodes in, I think. And uh, yeah, so. Yeah, that was uh, that was seven seven episodes were BC uh, before Corona. Mm -hmm. Now we've got we've got eight episodes AP after pandemic. To use a uh, overused phrase of this time, uh, this is the new normal. So, look, we know that these are unprecedented times, but we're all in this together. Please buy our washing machines. It's unprecedented times, and uh, you, sir, I know this is not a visual podcast, but you are rocking some unprecedented facial hair growth. Um, Yes. It's coming in nice and strong. Thank you. Uh, So this is our eighth Bunker Skype podcast thing. I have not shaved since I have been on lockdown protocol, and this is the longest I've ever gone without shaving. Um, So yeah, looking pretty rugged. I'm liking it. I feel, I don't know. I don't know. It, it's different. I look at myself. I'm like, oh, weird. There it is. Nice. Uh, it's it's not as patchy as I expected it to be, but then in some areas, I don't know. I don't know. Well, uh, we'll see what happens. Let's get into the sports. I actually, uh, I heard some organic criticism out there from a listener that uh, we don't we don't get into the sports as quick enough as some listeners might like. So let's dive into it today coming into a sport that Look, we it, really don't cover much feel free Ask to me. feel free to cut this but i think we need to give the listeners like a little bit of warm-up you know a little bit of a little bit of tickling a little bit of touching and soothing we gotta ease them into it you know uh, a, little, uh, behind, a little bit of foreplay you know we don't want to just okay. jump right into the action all right sir let's, maybe let's, that's just me pg-13 um, but I feel you. I feel you. You know, I want to give them a little sense of our lives, but I also want to give them give them the content that they're craving out there. That NASCAR. It's, it's not just the oops. story of the sports. It's the story of us telling the story of sports. Or well, something. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, well, I still would love to talk about NASCAR with you as much as you want to beat around the not beat around the bush, but. Let's, Actually, uh, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Let's beat around the bush, and then we arrive at the bush. Oh, sorry. And that bush uh, is NASCAR. NASCAR is on its way back. It seems that uh, they are working on a revised schedule now that is almost 99% done for the rest of the NASCAR season. And uh, it was actually announced in a uh, fairly... New Age Way on the Dale Earnhardt Jr. podcast, Dale Jr. Download. Wow, and so he had the, the scoop. Yeah. 
Dale Earnhardt, man. He's a, he's a, a legend in the sport, and he's coming in with the stories now. And uh, the first four races are set to be in South Carolina because I guess that state's governor has already given the okay to NASCAR. Like, yep, we are good. We uh, are done with this, and we are ready for some normalcy, and we'll let you do the first four races in South Carolina, provided that there's nobody in the stands. So two are going to be at Darlington, and another two will be at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Uh, but I imagine the rights for televising this like i i I bet that the uh folks televising this are probably raking in some cash given that due to the absence of live sports in general throughout this pandemic people are probably itching to get back to some semblance of normalcy itching is an understatement people are going to be tuning in so that we can watch more commercials i want to i want to watch these race cars go zoom you know i want to i want to see some well no one no one wants the cars to crash but should they crash you know i I, i'll i'll watch those replays you know what i mean that sucks me into a nascar event so uh ethan is a proponent of race car carnage and that is on the record (laughs) Well, I, uh, I'm certainly a proponent of sports coming back, and uh, whichever ones come back quickest are going to get my attention the soonest, and who knows, I might become a NASCAR enthusiast before we know it, and I, I won't say that I am a strong lover of NASCAR IndyCar racing, but uh, that's not to say I, I can't be bought. It's... Interesting that despite the inherent danger of of racing, this is a pretty safe, uh, in terms of distancing, uh, event. You know, the the drivers are in their own cars. I imagine the pit stop guys are going to be wearing masks or at least have been tested. I'm sure they'd have to be wearing masks. I don't know how well the pit crew guys are going to be able to social distance if they're all like all those guys have to like come in and work on the car in like a 15 second span you know what i mean like that car goes down they're all you know changing those tires and it it takes about like five seconds but in that five seconds they're all clumped close together i don't know i'm not sure but um, everybody knows that covid19 adheres to the five second rule if they are (laughs) quickly changing out the tires and and refueling and they get back away They'll be just fine. That's well, that's only... straight from Jared Kushner. That's he's yeah. responsible for taking care of us as a nation. Five second rule. It's real. Kushmeister. Um, all right. Well, we can only hope it goes well because we need these initial sports coming back. NASCAR, UFC. We need it to go well for other sports that we love dearly to come back in their own right that are going to have a more difficult time. Say the NFL, it's impossible to, uh, you know, maintain social distancing when you have a team of 53 players on the field all at once with 11 of those guys playing shoulder to shoulder, 22 really on both teams, you know, clashing against each other. Um, So that is in theory still going to be kicking off this fall, the NFL National Football League, and uh, with such, they're they're very gung ho about it. It seems right now, with no intent to stop, 
uh, to the point that they released the schedules for the fall 2020 uh, with, I believe, no delays in mind for this schedule. They're just like, nope, everything's starting on time, regular season in September, and here's week one through 17. And we got some really cool matchups. Tom Brady, obviously, has been the news of the offseason now being a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Being the Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Tampa, yep, Tampa Brady. Um, the Buccaneers, I, I think schedule has probably been one of the most viewed of any, and, uh, they are on their, on their tour around the league this season. They'll be stopping at these cities with, uh, teams that you and I both support quite, uh, quite proudly. I am a Green Bay Packers enthusiast and you, sir, are a Denver Broncos fan. And, uh, they, both of our franchises that we support are going to be playing Tom Brady and the Patriots. And I'm excited to uh, I'm excited to see it all play out. I'm excited to see uh, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, and the Patriots. I don't know if I did. Um, you did. Okay, I'll cut that. Thanks. It was in my head, I was like TB and the P, and I was like, wait a minute, that's not right. It's TB and the B. That was some 2019 thinking right there. You know, that was some pre-COVID 19 thinking. My apologies. Yeah. We're in a post-COVID world. We're in a post-Brady Patriots world. I saw Get that uh, Pey- Peyton Manning was ribbing uh, Tom Brady about how he was going to like be allowed to play this season when he uh, has an ankle bracelet from that breaking and entering charge. Ah. <laughs> going into Byron Leftwich's house. Good old Peyton. He is. Uh, yeah. He's like everybody's favorite uncle. You know what I mean? Like I love it when he's on TV. I'm like, ah, oh, it's Peyton. It's been a while since I gotten an update from him. I love it. So the Buccaneers and the Saints open the season in New Orleans. Uh, that's going to be September 13th. But it's not a uh, primetime game, right? Like it's just in the middle of the afternoon. I think the primetime game is Chiefs versus Texans, which I get. But it seems kind of crazy that they're not given a uh, Monday night football or some kind of shout out like that to the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers going against the Saints for the classic matchup of, uh, you know, two of the greatest quarterbacks of the last 20 years. True, but can you really fault them for giving Patrick Mahomes, the Super Bowl MVP and just rising superstar, the primetime slot there versus the Texans? uh, and taking a look here, that Monday night matchup is the Steelers against at the Giants. I I would take it a million times over that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, other NFL news, aside from the schedules being released, uh, there was some <laughs> quite ridiculous news uh, from Earl Thomas, Baltimore Ravens defensive player. He, um, hold on a moment. Sorry. I, I hate to, uh, backtrack here, but what I'm looking at is that there are two Monday night games, uh, week one, it's the Steelers giants, uh, Steelers at giants. And it is also, that's going to be a four fifteen. I hope this is Pacific time, what I'm looking at. And then it's also Titans at Broncos at seven ten. Uh, all right. Well, Earl Thomas, um, you know, we understand he's a Baltimore Raven, but you uh, would think he was a Philadelphia Eagle with all the brotherly love that's been uh, coming from him in the news recently. Earl Thomas uh, was caught by his wife, Nina, 
in bed with multiple women and his brother. Um, I don't really want to go into much more detail than that. We don't really have any, but just uh, what a bizarre story. Apparently, Nina obviously suspected that something was going on because she confronted Earl with a uh, gun, one of Earl's guns that she had taken to, quote, scare him. And uh, she had intended to scare him by holding him at gunpoint with an empty gun. She emptied the magazine, uh, but police later stated that she did not realize that there was also a bullet in the chamber and uh, that had been left in while she was threatening Earl Thomas um, because he was in bed with other women plus his brother. And um, so Nina was arrested and uh, Earl Thomas, I think it just looks horrible in the media right now um obviously ridiculous embarrassed i I imagine he's embarrassed this this is some like weird black mirror kind of stuff though because she tracked him down via snapchat yeah the Uh, map app for anybody that doesn't know you can share your location on snapchat with your friends uh earl thomas's wife is obviously his friend on Snapchat and was able to track him down on Snapchat to an Airbnb. So she took his nine millimeter Beretta to quote, scare him. Uh, The contents of, of whether or not he was flaunting his or his, his activities, let's say uh, whether he was flaunting his activities on Snapchat is not reported, but, uh, you got to be careful out there. Anybody, I mean, if if I open Snapchat right now and I take a look, I can see everybody who's been on Snapchat today and where they were the last time they opened it. So ah, that's just insane. It is absolutely insane. Uh, She found him naked in bed with one of the other women. Uh, The article that I'm looking at does not disclose where in relation to the nude Earl Thomas, uh, the other brother was. So I, I'm not, I'm not contesting that they were not in the same room. I'm just saying that it is not specifically reported. Fair enough. Um, well, we certainly don't need to go into any more detail. I think about this story. I think we, uh, we covered the main topics and we did our, journalistic diligence in reporting the news um in much more uh socially appropriate i don't know for work news no this is the next topic is kind of depressing but uh just doing a complete 90 degree or 180 degree you know what let's switch these around let's talk about a little middle topic with andy dalton going to the dallas cowboys um andy Andy dalton Dalton, who we discussed at medium length two episodes ago yes his trade value his trade value which i believe i was saying he would not have very much trade value if he wasn't a starter and you were saying that they were going to be looking to trade him regardless so he just they just drop him they didn't even give him an opportunity to start uh and he got scooped up by the cowboys which is uh an all right move i mean if you're gonna be a backup somewhere Dallas is a very okay scenario to go to. They upgraded their wide receiving core this year with C.D. Lamb in the draft. 
They already had Amari Cooper. They have Ezekiel Elliott as a running back. And so if you're going to be an insurance policy somewhere, I mean, if Dak gets hurt or he holds out because he's coming up for a big contract. There um, we go. That's like a double insurance policy, because if, if he does hold out, you've got a legitimate starting caliber quarterback. Exactly. So Jerry Jones doesn't have to be too uh, pressured by Dak asking for like 40 million a year or whatever ridiculous number he was harping for. But I mean, Dak had an incredible year last year and, you know, he's kind of said, like, I earned this money but jerry jones is being like hey maybe you do but i'm still not saying i'm the one who's going to pay it to you when i got a texas homegrown andy dalton that uh is okay you know like could andy dalton got the bengals to the playoffs before it was a long time ago at this point i think it was over five years ago or so but um andy dalton has been there before he can lead a, a good team to the playoffs i don't think he's had a great team to work with in a long time in cincinnati um do you think dak prescott is worth becoming the next highest paid quarterback in the nfl uh which is currently russell wilson who has a 35 million dollar per, se- per season salary i mean is is he worth russell wilson money what I'm saying is I don't think the Seahawks are the same team or even close to it without Russell Wilson. I think are well, the I Cowboys guess... could the Cowboys be the Cowboys are close to it without Dak. You put a competent quarterback like an Andy Dalton in there because I think I believe that Dak Prescott is a top 10 quarterback. Um I think he's in, you know, the five to ten ratio probably more like seven to ten i'd be comfortable any ranking of eight nine or ten i think for dak just right off the top of my head andy dalton obviously much lower down the list but i still think andy dalton's probably a 15 to 20 you know or so best quarterback in the league i'm not sure i mean obviously we have some new blood uh but yeah, I think if you if you subbed him out, I think he'd probably get I think you might get one or two more wins with Dak than you would with Andy Dalton. I don't know if that's answering your question, but I think Andy Dalton could take the team they have now and easily get like 9 or 10 maybe not easily, but I think you get like 9 or 10 wins with them. I think with Dak you're probably getting 10 or 11. So I'm looking at a stats sheet here. Dak Prescott is ranked fifth for uh, average yards per throw. Uh, Let's see here. I'm going to switch this up to yards per game. And he's ranked third. Uh, Let's let's switch it up to touchdowns. He's a statistics darling. I know he's fourth. Let's let's switch this up to completion percentage. Ooh, 17th. But that's not necessarily all on him. Uh, I mean, really, none of these stats are all on the quarterback, but that is a significant drop. <laughs> He's got great receivers, too, I feel like. I mean, you've got Amari Cooper there. Obviously, C.D. Lamb's new, but he also has Randall Cobb coming in on the slot. You got Jason Witten, who, uh, you know, came out of retirement to rejoin the Cowboys last year. But he is a, uh, you know, a Hall of Famer, uh, you know, tight end. So 
Yeah. Finally, mm-hmm. uh, what I'm looking at here is if this is ranking, and this is all just last year's only stats to, to keep that in mind. He's got uh, ranked at 11 for QB rating. So by all means, for the most part, you, you're right. He is a top 10 quarterback for, I mean, most of these uh, very significant stats here. I mean, yeah. And based on the stats you're laying out, you know, I think you, you, you do have to give him that top five to or so, you know, say he's like the, the number five quarterback in the league, right? It seems like that might be a, a, a decent spot to, to put him at. You got to yeah. give the, a top five quarterback in the league top five top money. Top five money. But do you give the top five quarterback top Jerry one Jones money? maybe wants to give him top ten money. I think that might be the impasse. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how it all shakes out, but good move for Andy Dalton. I think, uh, you know, if, if, if he, he has any opportunity to start there, if I, he's I all bet, right, with this. No. yeah, if he's all right with this situation. Um, but if, you know, things happen and he gets a start, that's great for him. Otherwise, like where other spots that you would have thought he'd go and competed, we have the Patriots, which probably would have been his, you know, a plus scenario in his mind, right. Going in there starting in place of Stidham. I guess, um, I don't know. The Patriots have, like, no receivers right now except for Edelman. But uh, you got Bill Belichick as your coach there. That would have been great. You have a shot at, you know, the playoffs in a weak division. He could have gone to the Jacksonville Jaguars and competed against Minshew. That could have been all right. Kind of, you know, he's not going to get to the playoffs at all, probably down there. Um, Well, I... I mean, it's not really over for him. He signed a one-year contract uh, for $3 million with up to $4 additional million in incentives. Uh, so he could make up to $7 million uh, this year, but at the bare minimum, it looks like he's going to make at least $3 bucks. So that's pretty good. Yeah. Sounds like a little bit more than what uh, Jameis Winston's making, I think, as a backup in New Orleans. So that leaves Cam Newton, who still hasn't signed anywhere. Are there any other yeah. quarterbacks, uh, starting caliber quarterbacks, that are just left in the lurch other than Cam at this point? Um, I mean, we've talked about this before. I guess it depends on how you view Joe Flacco. Um, is Joe Flacco just kind of retired at this point? Is he done? Um, but otherwise, no, Cam is the big name out there. Or I guess the old, you know, tired storyline of sign Kaepernick, you know, give him a shot. Uh, But Kaepernick's been out of the league for like four years or so now. So that's just never going to happen. Cam is, uh, he's just kind of putting out the news like, hey, I don't want to go somewhere to back up when I come back. I'm going to be a starter. And his agents basically put out the word like he's waiting for an injury to happen this year to jump in somewhere um oh trevor simeon is unsigned <laughs> there you go how's simeon doing didn't he get hurt when he was with yes, uh, the jets he, did. he uh he was, was backing up uh mr mononucleos mononucleosis yeah, and uh he got hit and just it looked like he just shattered his leg but i think he Jeez. would be coming back here um so yeah, currently Cam Newton, Joe Flacco, 
Josh McCown. Blake Bortles doesn't have a team. Bortles. Uh, Geno Smith. Trevor Simeon. Huh. So still plenty of at least backup talent there. I'm a little shocked that Cam Newton hasn't been uh, scooped up anywhere, but I'm going to bet that he's not willing to sign somewhere where he's not going to be essentially guaranteed a starting position. Yeah, and I'm sure that's made a little bit tougher right now with his recent injuries and teams not being able to do physicals as easily as you might like. Right. And, I, you know, I know there's a lot of concern around his shoulder and how that, because it's basically been the last two years that he hasn't been healthy. So I think teams want to see that he's actually healthy. But um, I have heard, you know, you're a Broncos fan, you love Drew Locke, the rumblings continue, like wouldn't Cam be a great insurance policy for Locke slash competition slash if you believe in Locke so much, why don't you just sign Cam already so that you can prove it? Uh, that he's better than than Cam Lockwatt, you know. Uh, what would your view be on the Broncos? Just so we can put this to bed, because I know all of our listener base has been coming at you. Want to know your opinion on this? Cam Newton as competition for Locke slash just a uh, backup insurance policy. What would your view on that be? Because I mean, you have you have Locke, who came off a rookie season. That was, um, if not spectacular, impressive record-wise. He did put W's on the board. He came in late in the season after the failed experiment of Joe Flacco. And then you had another backup come in and start ahead of Locke because there was a lot of concern about how up-to-date Locke was with you know just adjusting to the pro game. That was a little concerning when you threw him in there wasn't exactly lighting it up athletically wise like Mahomes, but he won four games, only lost one. So he just comes off as a winner, if not the most spectacular athlete you've ever seen. Um, I'm just not that sure a- that he is a piece or a, a type of player that like Pat Shermer, the offensive coordinator, is is looking to build this offense around. Just his style yeah. of play isn't really the same, I think, that they would be expecting out of somebody like Drew Locke, which is mm-hmm. uh, apparently, according to Pat Shermer, was like a big draw for him to to accept the offensive coordinator job in Denver. So, yes, Cam is a competent and talented quarterback, but would he fit with the offense that Pat Shermer is trying to create there? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Cam is a, uh, he's a bruiser, you know, I think his best uh, comparison to another quarterback in the NFL would be Ben Roethlisberger, just a physically dominating, like, run threat where he could just be a bowling ball. And that's how he's accumulated some of these injuries, you know, is is running with it. Um, Shoulder-wise, I think there's some concern with Cam on, like, how how far he can throw right now. He did get pulled out of a couple Panthers games for a backup just for the deep throws. That was, I think, a big concern for a lot of people probably still. Yeah, and, you know, we've we've signed a couple of speedy guys, uh, you know, a, a new speedy wide receiver, a new 
uh, Judy. The, the first round pick of Judy being an uh, excellent route runner. And I'm taking a look at uh, Pat Shermer's like history here. He was with, he was an offensive coordinator for the Eagles the season where Michael Vick was injured and Nick Foles took over. Mm-hmm. So he's worked with like Nick Foles and, and uh, Michael Vick a little bit. So I'm like, well, Michael Vick, Michael Vick is know? very comparable yeah. to, to a Cam Newton. I think, you know, like a mobile yeah. guy with a very strong arm. So I, I don't know, man. I it could probably work. And I'm not saying I'm just like a massive Drew Locke fan. I am just hoping that the team wins and if Cam Newton's the guy to come in and make that happen, then yeah, I'd love to see it happen. Yeah. I guess the only other concern I could think about would you just be confidence for Locke if you brought someone in like Cam, would that would that hurt him confidence wise? But uh if he's really the guy you expect them to be able to shake it off and play through it, right? Yeah, you would hope. Think about it. Think about it, Elway. If you're no, listening, you don't see Dak Prescott shaking in his boots because they brought in Andy Dalton. I'm not saying that Drew Locke is a Dak Prescott, but that's kind of like what you want. <laughs> to be fair, Dak Prescott. I mean, he's got other things to be worrying about. You know, he's got to be talking to the cops about his uh, coronavirus dinner parties. And uh, so, no, 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 dinner comma not party all right well um just some other uh nfl news uh sadly we had legendary dolphins coach don shula pass away this past week at the age of 90 so he had an extremely full life he coached the uh baltimore colts to a super bowl loss to joe namath and the new york jets and then in the 1970s in 1972 he won uh the super bowl with the perfect season uh, where the Dolphins went undefeated in the regular season and the postseason and won the Super Bowl without a, a loss at all. And uh, then he repeated uh, in 1973 as Super Bowl champions. Uh, they didn't have a perfect season that year, but still two-time Super Bowl winner with the Miami Dolphins and uh, is the holder for career wins as a head coach. Uh, that's counting regular season and playoffs he has 347 wins whereas bill belichick has 300 or so right now so um you know rest in peace don shula a legendary football life r.i.p otherwise uh we had a notable signing by the new york jets actually frank gore signed with the new york jets as a running back aka the inconvenient truth i think he is 36 years old now frank gore jr his son is actually expecting to play college football this year as a freshman at Southern Miss. So uh, Frank Gore will be 37 a week from today. He's a force. And I uh, can't wait for uh, him to retire only for his son to join the league the next year. In NBA news, moving away from the NFL, we had the uh, episodes five and six of The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary, aired this past Sunday. We've been following the uh, documentary series along as it's been released. And, it's it's uh, really well done. The production is excellent. I find myself watching the show and then getting nervous as they're telling the story of what I already know happened. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, I wonder if the Bulls are going to pull this off. Charles Barkley was really on a tear in 1993. Yeah. I know what happens, but I'm still on the edge of my seat with the way that everything is being presented. It's got 
incredible um, background footage that has just never really been released to the public, but apparently has been on ESPN's shelves for the last 20 years. And uh, it had some great footage of practices for the 1992 Dream Team, the United States Olympic basketball team that included several Hall of Famers, including Charles Barkley and Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and I think Patrick Ewing. <laughs> like The list goes on. Not Isaiah Thomas, though. That was made specifically clear in the documentary. Isaiah Thomas, uh, nobody ever said that he couldn't be on the team other than, like, you know, obviously whatever coach made the cuts. But uh, I guess. And even Michael Jordan himself said, oh, Isaiah Thomas wasn't picked, but that had nothing to do with me. Mm. He was just like, it's just well known that uh, we had different personalities and we would have clashed. I I feel like that's some unreliable narrator uh, stuff going on there. Probably. Yeah. And that's been a criticism of the documentary. Um, I think actually famed documentarian Ken Burns has actually uh, criticized a little bit the documentary just in the fact that it has a partnership with Michael Jordan um, and just says that, hey, anytime the main focus of the documentary is like a willing participant and partner, that, you know, it, it's immediately biased. And um, yeah, a little bit of that's definitely true. But I'm, um, not, I'm not sure how much it is biased if we... If we as the audience can understand that we're getting his perspective on it, his perspective doesn't necessarily mean the objective truth. And I think they are able to portray that by providing other people's perspectives on it as well. Uh, you know, some if if one if Michael Jordan says things were one way, then they can cut to someone else who was there and say, like, well, actually, um, and, and that came up in episode six regarding the release of the book yeah. the jordan rules where uh michael jordan was saying that he wasn't the one feeding the author journalist any of the information and he he singled out one of his then teammates by saying that uh this teammate was mad that he was in the shadows and so he was saying all these nasty things about michael jordan uh well, horace cut, grant was cut to horace ever. grant who says I had a great relationship with this guy. He was a beat writer, but I wasn't the one feeding him all of the inside scoops. So, yeah, you're getting kind of some both sides of the story, but I think it's they do leave a bit of it up to the audience to put the pieces together and kind of take what you will uh, based on your own interpretations of what these people are telling you. Yeah, Sam Smith is the uh, the author of The Jordan Rules. I actually read it last year. It's a really good book, and it does show um, Jordan as a bit of a a-hole, you know, and that's just kind of who he is. Like, it talks about how he would be playing high-stakes poker on the, the, the plane or the bus, and then, you know, at, you know, after that ended, he'd go to the back of the or front of the bus or wherever, like, these guys were playing – for like pennies, you know, or like nickels or dimes or whatever, just like, you know, small games of blackjack or whatever. And he'd come and be like, hey, let me play you guys. And they're like, why do you want to play with us, Michael? Like you're over there playing with like Scottie Pippen and the high rollers. And he was just like, I don't care about how much money it is. I just want to know that I took your money and I beat you and it's your money in my pocket. And I was like, that was just kind of the illuminating like, yep, that's... That's who Michael Jordan is. 
Well, he was even uh, quoted as saying, I don't have a gambling problem. I have a competition problem. Like, I'm always betting on me. Yeah, I mean, and we saw that. I think the most iconic scene from the, either episode is definitely the hallway scene with the security guards and the one security guard with, like, the bleach blonde, like, jerry curl is uh like they're tossing quarters and they're trying to see who can get the quarter closest to the wall without without hitting it. the wall yeah and, oh and my then goodness. like and then not only does the security guard beat jordan but then he does the jordan shrug just a little like smile like sorry you know and then jordan just looks at him he's like get out of here go back to garden the united center i don't want to see your face Well, first he criticizes the guy's throw as if like the way he throws it is somehow like less legitimate than the yeah. way michael tosses the quarter at the wall he starts saying like oh this guy's quarter rolls did you see the way it's just rolling up there my quarter doesn't have any roll and it's all in jest but there's a like a tone a that's in the back of it that he's just like actually upset that he lost at all yeah Get back to Garden the United Center. Um, other cool moments from the episodes that particularly stuck out to me was the, uh, I think, halftime footage of Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen like being uh, attended to by the trainers or something, or they're just like sitting down at halftime while like cracking beers and like sipping on Miller Lights or something like that. And then, by Scottie the way, Pippen's, did everybody like, in the nineties just drink Miller Light? I remember the That's episode of Scottie Pippen. I swear uh, I got all my memories. He was walking around the hallways, drinking Miller Lite, and there was a scene where he was in Vegas, walking up to his motorcycle, and he like just rides the motorcycle away. If you don't, if you watch it carefully, you realize he's also sipping a Miller Lite right before he gets on the motorcycle and then drives off. In the in the scene where he's like, you know, drinking the Miller Lite, and Scottie Pippen's like, "Get these cameras away! I don't want to see this. Like America to see this. Like Jordan's like." Ah, no, like, you should have seen him back when I was a rookie, and not only was there, like, beers, but everyone was smoking cigarettes at halftime. And you know who was giving the players the cigarettes was the coaches. The coaches. <laughs> I just, I believe that 100%. Like, you know, the 80s, like, you know, just as time moves backwards, like, things were just so much less regulated things were so there was such i mean you were allowed to smoke in restaurants at the time you you see michael jordan like smoking hella cigars in hotel rooms something yeah. that absolutely would not fly in most hotels nowadays and that was another uh, i think what will be an iconic scene from the documentary episode was um i think this was episode six that started out being like it's not easy being Michael Jordan, like him having to do like three or four takes of saying that one line. <laughs> I thought there was like a glitch or something as I was watching it. He's like, people always say they want to be Michael Jordan for a day or a week, but they don't understand how hard it is. And then you see him in the hotel room and he's people like smoking always a say... cigar. <laughs> yeah. And then he's just like, yeah, this is my life. Like I just sit in hotel rooms and I'll smoke a cigar and I'll play, you know, quarters with my security guards. And he actually like looks at the camera guy and says, it was nice and peaceful in here until you guys show up. <laughs> so uh, just excellent sneak peeks, I guess. I mean, you know, just kind of footage that I never thought we'd see of what the NBA was like in the 90s and what it was like to be Michael Jordan in the 90s. I think it's doing a really great job of humanizing Michael Jordan. 
uh, you know, showing the scars and, and the flaws, but at the same time, continuously reinforcing that he was absolutely the best player, like in his peak in the league, even, you know, according to himself and according to all his peers. He was the 1990s. And I think there's a moment in the dream team episode where uh, him and magic Johnson are like battling in one of the practices and Jordan just kind of offhandedly says like, Hey man, it's the nineties now. Like you're an eighties guy. Like I'm the nineties. And it's like, yeah, like there was definitely a transition there. Like that's dream team was like the transition from Magic Johnson and Larry Bird to just Michael Jordan, like being the torchbearer for the league. And um, let's not forget the Kobe Bryant episode, which was also episode five. Correct. That was crazy that we got to see footage seeing of... the all-star game with 19 year old Kobe Bryant facing off against Michael Jordan. And uh, we got some interview footage of Kobe that couldn't have been that old, probably just a few months before he passed and former NBA commissioner now deceased David Stern also uh, had an interview for the documentary. And, you know, I really liked the way Kobe had said, you know, people are always saying, you know, who would beat who one-on-one, but it's not like that. Like you don't get me Kobe Bryant, like the guy I became without Michael, because Michael was always there for me, always offering support and offering to help me. Like, no, like that was the giant whose shoulders I stood on, you know, like exactly. I felt that. Um, all right. Well, that's, uh, that's our Michael Jordan documentary coverage for episodes five and six um, to carry us out through the end of the sports news week. We have UFC 249 is back on the books. It's happening Woo-hoo! this Saturday. Don't know exactly when this podcast is being released. So uh, if this is already taking place by the time you're listening to it, I hope it lived up to the hype. But there is certainly a ton of hype. Uh, first combat sporting event back on the table since this huge outbreak. And it is headlined by Tony Ferguson versus Jason Gaethje. And it's taken me like six weeks of reading about this guy to finally just like have his name down pronunciation wise. It's funny because you don't even have it down. Dang I'm it. Pretty sure you just said Jason Gaethje. Is it is it Justin Gaethje? It's Justin Gaethje. Son of you a missed guy. the easy part, man. Ah. All right. Well, I'll I'll nail it after, you know, he loses this weekend and fades from relevancy. We'll see. I'm guessing Tony Ferguson. I think it's time. Up. For a bet the small stuff, are you Tony, back in Tony Ferguson? Oh yeah, yeah, I'm back in I'm back in Fergie. I'm back in TJ then. Wait, right. J J G J T. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, that's a small time bet. H E small time bet. Bet the small stuff. Ferguson, Ethan, Gaethje, TJ. Um, I'm excited. And uh, I'm excited to have live sports back, and I'm excited to watch people punch each other for money. Well, let us, uh, I don't know, like, honestly, I'm trying to think of what I recommended last week. Let's move it into You recommended Better Call Saul last week, which I yeah. then, I glommed onto it. I was like, and yeah, I'm Better still, Call Saul is tight. I'm still in the midst of it, actually. I am on season four. Last time we talked, I was on season one. I've burned through two seasons since then. Um, I'm on but, season five. 
So I've been, there's only I've been seasons, five. Right? There's only five seasons, right? So are you Correct. finished with it? No, I've I uh next episode is episode eight. Um for well, me. Just out of ten. Just to uh, just to get something out there. Uh other other media that I've been consuming. Top Chef. Um I do love a competition show. Top Chef is a very classy reality TV involving some extremely talented chefs and they compete to against each other like a dozen chefs to see who is the culinary master amongst them and uh it's found on hulu give it a shot there's a bunch of seasons it's um, a lot of fun and a very well-run program it's really fun and uh us being in portland we've actually got opportunities to go and eat at some of the establishments where uh, many of the top contenders have uh, competed so now they've, they've got restaurants and they're based here uh one in particular who runs a restaurant called departure that would be oh my goodness i can't even think of his name but uh in a contender i'll pretend you didn't say that uh <laughs> yeah no 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 it's good let's see here for me i I've been playing a lot of Forza Horizon on Xbox. It is available on uh, Game Pass, which is $15 a month, and it gives you access to just really a lot of games, a lot of new releases. Um, anything that comes out of Microsoft Studios, which includes the Halo franchise, currently the most recent Gears of War game is available. So... Uh, to put it into perspective, a brand new Xbox game, when it is released, is about $60. So if you buy two or three games a year, you're looking at $120 to $180 in games, and you've only got two or three a year. That's a lot. Uh, let's say you go and used, you know, which is like $30 to $40 a game. You can up that to four or five games a year. With this subscription service, it's $15 a month. You get access to dozens of games, and if you play more than three or four of them in the span of a year, you've essentially made your money back. Excellent. All right. Well, um, I think that's that's all we have for the audience this week. Thank you, anyone and everyone that is listening. We appreciate it. We appreciate you. And until uh, you hear from us again, just remember... Keep sweating. Keep sweating.